Hey, everyone. We just wanted to give you a heads up that this week's episode contains adult themes. So if you've got kids in the room, you might want to put the headphones in for this one or just go to another room. Okay, let's get into the episode. From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. I was reading a piece posted on the Daily Signal recently that totally caught my attention. It said, in part, President Biden is pursuing a policy that will eliminate due process rights for college students by encouraging half-naked students to race across the commons to be the first to file a sexual harassment charge against their erstwhile paramours. Erstwhile paramours. I don't know if I've ever heard that term before. So, yeah, it's safe to say I'm intrigued. But first, let's get the facts. It all starts in Cincinnati. According to that Daily Signal piece, a few years ago, two students at the University of Cincinnati got drunk and had a one-night stand. Now, because they were both drunk, under the college's sexual assault rules, neither one could give consent, and both were guilty of sexual assault. The next morning, the male student woke up first and, terrified that his partner would lodge a sexual assault complaint against him, he rushed to the Title IX office and filed a complaint against her. At the time, the school followed Obama administration guidelines that virtually guaranteed that every accusation led to punishment, no matter what the facts were. The result? The girl involved was found guilty of sexual assault, and she was suspended. So what is Title IX? Well, it's a federal statute that governs sexual assault and harassment investigations on college campuses. Currently, accusations require a higher standard of proof, consisting of things like live hearings and cross-examinations and a chance to speak to counsel. The goal is to enable a fair campus justice system that doesn't deny the accused due process. These are all good things. However, the Biden administration is proposing changes to Title IX that would effectively eliminate these safeguards and put students in sort of a a prisoner's dilemma, coercing them into unnecessary opposition. Or, as Caitlin Flanagan asked in The Atlantic, is it possible for two people to simultaneously sexual assault each other? Great question, Caitlin. On this episode, we talk with Giancarlo Canaparo, He's a legal fellow in the Mies Center here at the Heritage Foundation and also the co-host of the SCOTUS 101 podcast, which, by the way, all of you should follow. Giancarlo is going to break down this issue and explain this real-life prisoner's dilemma that has a far-reaching lose-lose scenario for our fundamental rights. We'll get into it after this.
I'm Zach Smith. And I'm Giancarlo Canaparo. And if you want to understand what's happening at the Supreme Court, be sure to check out SCOTUS 101, a Heritage Foundation podcast. We take a look at the cases, the personalities, and the gossip at the highest court in the land. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you find your podcasts. It's SCOTUS 101. Giancarlo, the piece you do with Stephanie Luis does a great job summarizing the University of Cincinnati case. You know, after a casual, consensual affair, the guy makes a Title IX claim against the girl, and she's automatically suspended without any due process. So before we go any further, just start us out and explain Title IX. So Title IX is a law that says any university uh, that accepts federal money, which is almost everyone in the country, uh, has to have rules in place to govern uh, sexual assault accusations between students. So universities had, you know, for a long time sort of promulgated their own rules, and, and there, there hadn't really been sort of problems or controversies about them. But then all of a sudden, President Obama comes along, and he issues a letter to schools, and he says, we're not requiring you to issue these uh, sort of what they call survivor-centered uh, rules, which essentially just wipe out due process protection for the accused. Yeah. He says, we're not going to require you to do it, but if you don't do it, we'll probably – we're going to think real hard about taking all your money away. Oh, man. So all okay. these universities, in part because they're afraid of losing money, but also because yeah. they're, the administrators tend to be the most rabid of the left-wing sort of woke nuts, uh, decide, oh, yeah, we, we're very happy to do this. We're very happy to eliminate yes. due process protections because sure. we're all about – uh, you know, protecting alleged survivors of sexual assault, uh, which, of course, is a great goal. But, you know, yeah. you've got due process concerns that you need to think about, but they don't care. Go through what due process looks like in a situation like this. What should it have been Absolutely. for this young lady in Cincinnati? Yeah. So what should have happened is uh, she should have been, uh, first of all, uh, told that this accusation had been made against her okay. and the nature of the accusation. Uh, so any evidence that investigators gathered should have been presented to her so that she can look at it. She should have been allowed to have a lawyer present or or at least some kind of uh, a, um, advocate from from campus, from the administration on her acting on her behalf. Uh, she should have been able to say, look, we were both in the same position here. Hmm. Nobody actually sexually assaulted anyone. We did what college students so often do, which hmm. is we got drunk and we hooked up. And, right. Uh, there's, you know, nobody actually sexually assaulted anyone here. And if if, any, if there was any sexually assault thing going on, it was mutual. And we should just both agree to sort of walk away from this. Hmm. She should have been had the right to um, have a hearing where she got to uh, explain this, where she got to um, cross-examine him and say, you know, didn't you get drunk last night too? Hmm. Yes. Didn't you come back to my hotel room? Yes. Uh, what, didn't we both do all of the same things? Yes. Uh, but none of that happened. So yeah. she didn't get any of that right. She was immediately suspended uh, and then subsequently expelled after this process worked its way through the administration without her. It's amazing to me that this this kid that was running through campus, you know, wrapped in a bed sheet, whatever, <laughs> knew about this. It's amazing yeah. that he had the wherewithal to say, I got to do this, meaning that they had been made aware of of this. Yeah, these kinds you know. of cases are are just happening 
everywhere all the time. Yeah. Uh, in another case that um, attracted a lot of news, and, and they're they're in court, you know, and there's there's news about these. But in another very famous one, two students had a purely consensual romantic encounter. Yeah. Uh, but there was a third party who was jealous of these two because, uh, if memory serves, she had an interest in the in the man, man okay. involved yep. uh, and was jealous and didn't like the girl involved. So she accused one of the two of them of sexual assault, even though both of them were had perfectly consented to this with each other. But because suddenly there was an accusation, this whole process kicked off, and the accused party. Uh, was suspended yeah. and expelled from the school uh, because of a third-party accusation that turned out to be totally bogus, but the school didn't care and didn't give her an opportunity uh, to to defend herself. I just think it's amazing. Like, we are legitimizing bad reality television premises through federal fiat. Oh, absolutely. Through this. Right. This is terrible. Right. And and, and the, the meanwhile, the, the, the downside, too, is that not only is this absolutely laughable and ridiculous, but you've yeah. got, you know, college students who have done absolutely nothing wrong yeah. being suspended. Suspended. You, you, not only are you kicked out of school. I mean, it's even assuming that you win in a, in a subsequent lawsuit, you've yeah. are, you've spent years kicked out of school. Yep. No other school is going to take you. Right. Of uh, course not. Right. So, all right. So that was Obama. Obama put that in. Right. Um, you had crazy cases like the one in Cincinnati, um, and then Trump comes in. Right. And his Department of Education curtailed it? They brought it back a little bit? What, what uh, happened So there? what they had to do uh, was actually more complicated uh, because Obama didn't issue formal rules, right? It was just a letter. Yeah. And he sort of banked on very woke left-wing administrators happily going along with it's it, which bank. they did. Yeah. Right, right. right. Uh, so uh, uh, President Trump and uh, Education Secretary uh, DeVos had uh, two things to do. They had to not only rein in, re, uh, retract the letter, but they had to actually write and promulgate uh, better rules, mm. a, a, like an actual okay. set of rules that schools had to follow. So that took some time, uh, and then took some time to get through the legislative, the uh, rulemaking process and uh, lawsuits, yeah. uh, trying to block them from doing it. But they did; they got those rules in place, uh, and we didn't see any more of these sort of absurd <laughs> stories yeah. uh, because there were some basic due process protections in place. Now, of course, Biden has come into office and is doing his level best to rescind these rules. So wow. uh, I, we expect, I think, probably in the beginning of 2022, he will issue new rules, which will be a formalization of Obama's letter. So back and forth, back right. and forth. Okay. What do we gain as Americans from limiting due process rights from people like and, and reinstating these rules? Yeah, it's all part of this ongoing cultural push that the administration is doing, whether it's Biden's 30-some-odd orders on equity and racial justice or uh, transgender policy or, uh, you know, you you name it. But one of of their cultural items is this idea that anyone accused uh, or who says they're a victim of sexual assault should be believed. Okay. Right? No matter what. So like the Me Too kind of springing out of that? Right. Just taken – right. I mean this is an administration that's basically run by Twitter, right? Yeah. Wow. By the left-wing advocates on on Twitter, the most left of the left, and they just really don't particularly care about how these things work out provided that they feel righteous. Yeah. 
Uh, and that's what this is. This is an mm. attempt to feel righteous by you know, protecting victims at the expense of anyone who uh, is accused at the expense of their due process rights. It's amazing because um, I was just reading some of this. A lot of people on the left were not in support of of Obama's initial rule on this, saying yeah, that right. this is not this is not how things work. This is not how it should work. Right. And so I, you know, obviously we want the same. We want the same thing here. We don't. We don't want. Uh, you know, there to be um, a, a complete lack and decorum and sexual assault happening all over the place. We got to walk the line here, but it has to be done with due process in mind. Right. Which it is why. To. Yeah. Go, yeah. Which is yeah. why I say this is an administration run by Twitter and not real people, because there are plenty of people on the left uh, who don't think this is a good idea. In fact, I think the vast majority of people think this is nonsense. But you get a very tiny but very powerful minority of very far left people uh, running this administration and running college campuses who are perfectly fine with this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, is there any pushback to this or are they just going to get away with it and 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 we're going to have to deal with it until another administration comes in? Is that how this is or is, is Congress um, stepping in? How how does this look? I mean, Congress could step in and should step in, but okay. but it won't. Um, what we've seen over history is that Congress is very happy to give the executive agencies the power over all of this kind of stuff because it spares Congress from having to take any responsibility, hmm. which is really a shame. But there are two two avenues of pushback. Number one, the Biden administration, when it promulgates these new rules, is going to have to comply with, with something called the Administrative Procedure Act. And it, it's a rule – it's a law that sets a lot of procedures about how an administration creates rules. Hmm. And uh, it's, it's procedural. It's ticky-tacky. Uh, the administration can comply uh, – um, can get around it. But the Biden administration has proved itself extremely sloppy about complying with the APA. So I imagine that there will be probably a couple rounds of successful challenges saying that, you know, you you rushed the promulgation of these rules. But that's only a delay. Yeah. Uh, but there has been some success in the courts uh, where the courts will get these cases. You know, somebody gets suspended for, for one of the cases for something like this and, and goes to federal court and says, I was denied due process. Mm. Uh, those cases are actually difficult to make because uh, Title IX, Congress, uh, when they passed the law, gave schools wide latitude hmm. uh, to promulgate rules which don't necessarily comply with what you and I and normal people consider to, to be due process standards. But some of those challenges uh, and the most egregious ones are having success. Uh, and uh, not only do they uh, force colleges to reevaluate their uh, their lax rules, but they also sometimes impose significant financial costs on colleges. So if, if students win more of these, uh, that creates a disincentive for colleges to promulgate rules like this. But the problem is if, col if students win more of these lawsuits, that means that, that they're losing more of these hearings in, in colleges in the first place. And that's a real harm from the beginning. John Carlo, this has been great. I really appreciate you coming in here and, uh, and doing this episode with us. My pleasure. And that's it for another episode of Heritage Explains. Thank you so much for listening. I've gone ahead and linked to Giancarlo and Stephanie's piece in the show notes. So please head over and check it out if you want a little bit more context. Also, subscribe to us, like us, share us, comment, whatever you want to do. We love the engagement and we thank you for it. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. 
It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by John Pop.